0: Welcome to Improving Intimacy, a podcast to help single and married Latter-day Saints strengthen their family connections and marriages. Daniel A. Burgess is the host of Improving Intimacy. Daniel's a marriage and family therapist, father, husband, and author. Here's Daniel on this episode of Improving Intimacy. Welcome to another episode of Improving Intimacy, where we are going to talk about sexual desire. And with us today, we have Danita, who will be talking about her journey. And Danita.
1: Yeah, um, thanks for having me on the podcast. This is pretty exciting. Um, I am, I've been married for almost 18 years. I have two daughters who are 15 and 12 years old and a son who is is ten. So my youngest is ten, double digits. So it's kind of yeah. different than like being in the baby toddler stage. Um, I am an active member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um,
0: you use the my full name, story, so we know you're active. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> my story is that my mom was not a member. My dad was a member, but was inactive his whole adult life. And I went to church with my grandparents. Um, they're the ones that introduced me to the church and taught me everything I knew. But when I was a teenager, I started feeling really judged by them. And I stopped going to church for about five years. And when I moved away and went to college, I decided I wanted to go back to church. And at the time I had met my now husband and we were living together. And I told him, I wanted to go back to church. And he said, oh, okay, I'll go with you. (laughs) And so he, and this, he's not, he's a convert. So he wasn't a member at the time. And I just thought it was so strange. And um, Strange why? Because he he was like,
0: yes, I want to go back. Or what was strange? What was strange about it?
1: Well, he didn't know anything about the church.
0: He just,
1: we met our freshman year of college. We were living in the dorms. We both attended the University of Washington in Seattle. And, um, and then during the summer, we had to move out of the dorms and we moved in together with each other and he didn't know anything about the church. I don't think I'd ever talked about my background as a member of the church. I wasn't going to church at the time and it was 1999 turning into 2000. And I was like, this is a big year. I need a big new year's resolution. And so my resolution was to start going back to church. And so I just told him that just like informationally, hey, I'm going to start going back to church. And he was like, yeah, I'll come with you. And in my mind, growing up in a small branch in a rural town in Washington state, the teenage boys did not want to be at church. Uh So I was like, "Okay, here's a 19 year old guy like what? He wants to go to church, but. (laughs) He, he had gone to like non-denominational churches and Catholic church a couple of times throughout his whole life. And so he was like, yeah, let's do it. And we started going to church together and he started investigating and he ended up getting baptized. But before he was able to be baptized, I had to move out. Well, one of us had to move out and And it was me. You you weren't weren't married.
0: You were just, you were living together still. Is that exactly? Yeah.
1: We weren't married and we were living together. And so the missionaries that were meeting with him sat him down and they were like, you need to commit. Like, we feel like you want to commit, but here's the deal. You either need to get married or want to, you know, you have to stop living together. And so we had a discussion and decided that I would move out. And, um, we actually got engaged a month or two after that conversation. Um, so yeah, so we went through that whole thing where we had been living together for two years, and then we got engaged, and he committed to be baptized. And so I moved out and was living temporarily with a member of our bishopric in that ward. Um, and then we were married about nine months later, and then. Um, a year after his baptism, we went through the temple together.
0: Oh my goodness. So So,
1: yeah, it's a little bit of a unique story. Um, and, but yeah, so ever since then, we've both been very active in the church. And when people find out that my husband is an adult convert, they're like blown away. They're like, no way. They, they think he's grown up in the church. He has really, acclimated to church culture and he just comes across as like one of the people that grew up in the church which i don't know that you can really tell one way or another but sometimes you know you you can tell you know by what people say or their mannerisms absolutely but he's, yeah he he very much has just dove headfirst into the gospel and you know all of that so we we are recommend holding members of the church. We hold calling. Um, yeah. So I kind of consider myself having that have, I think I have kind of a unique perspective when it comes to sexuality because I didn't mention my mom was 17 when she had me. So I come from like, teen parents. (laughs) So your mom your
0: mom was married though, but had you at a young age?
1: Well, my mom and dad were actually never married, but they lived together for over twenty years. Um so I mean they had a relationship as if they were married. But they met when my mom was I think fourteen or fifteen. My dad is three years older than her. Oh wow. So she had me a month after she turned 17, my dad was 20. So my parents were very, very young.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, life was pretty tough. They Neither of them graduated from high school. Neither of them went to college. Um, very like menial jobs. My dad was the breadwinner. My mom stayed home with us until we were much older and she started working. Um, and their relationship was very volatile, very rocky. I can't tell you how many times I've heard them fighting and having sex <laughs> sometimes <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> um and like of course sex was such a big part of their relationship.
0: And that was obvious. I or was that talked about or you just knew because you can hear or um, what was how did that become Yeah, it,
1: it was just open. It was just they the way I think about it now that I'm an adult is that we are emotional children and they didn't know how to talk about their feelings. They didn't know how to navigate their relationship very well. They were like still two teenagers and, you know, very codependent with each other and um, just trying to figure out life really. Like, how are we going to pay the bills? And, you know, and then they have big feelings and are depending on the other person and, um, they didn't know any different than like high scenes from us. So they never did. Uh, I mean, one of my earliest ways is my parents fighting and yelling and screaming at each other. Um, and I feel like I don't even ever remember learning about sex. I feel like I was just so young. I've just always known. And, and it was just like, it was a joke. It was funny. Um, and it was open and out there. So I almost kind of like, my, and my parents are very, very lenient. Um, just to kind of give you some context. Yeah, please. When I was 14, my mom had had been working for a year or two and she met this high schooler. I was in eighth grade. This high school boy who was her boss's son and she thought he was really cool. And so she introduced us to each other and she kind of was like, you should date him. And I was this naive, shy girl. And I was just like, what? I am not ready to date at all. And he kind of showed an interest in me. um, And he asked me out on a date. And he said, do you want to go to the movies? Well, I grew up in this tiny town. The movies was 45 minute drive away. So I didn't know what to do. So I had a conversation with my dad and he was just like, well, why don't you just go to the movies with him? And if you don't like it, then don't go again. And if you do, then keep going. <laughs> like,
2: Some basic and advice? And I
1: was like, yeah. And, and I was 14 at the time. So my parents basically encouraged me to start dating. And this guy was three years older than me. So he was a junior in high school. And I was like, oh, that sounds so simple. So I can just like go on a date. And if I don't like it, then I don't have to go any, anymore. But of course, what happens is he's very kind to me. We hit off this, this friendship. We do start a relationship up. He was my first quote unquote boyfriend. Um, and I didn't like, I was pretty shy and, and quiet and unsure of myself. So it kind of became like, even if I did want to stop the relationship, I wouldn't have known how to say, like, listen, this isn't working for me anymore. Um, so that was the advice I got from my parents.
0: So you're your, like, hey. your, your parents were open. They were encouraging this, but you didn't have your parents didn't teach you the language on how to end a relationship or how to improve it because they didn't have it themselves. But yet they were open was it, is what I'm hearing.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I never did anything more than kiss this boy. Like we held hands and we kissed. But I remember a conversation. My mom came to me one time. She was like, so are you having sex? And my, I remember one time my dad said, do we need to get you some pills? Do we need to get you some, you know, medicine wow. so you don't get pregnant? And I was just like, no, this is super awkward. <laughs> and uh, my mom said, well, you know, boys want sex. And I was like, mom, no, just I don't want to talk about this. And she's like, you don't have to have intercourse. And I realized, like, I was probably 15 at this point. I was like, my mom is encouraging me to have oral sex yeah. with this boy. Like, for sure, it, just that whole context of this is the role of women and girls, and this is what boys need. And if you want to keep him, then you need to do this. And I was just like, not ready for that at all. Um, so, so I'm curious. So that was kind of eye-opening.
0: I'm curious what's happening in your mind. I, I You'd mentioned, oh, like gross, not yet, or... or uh Uh, Something was going through your mind there. It's interesting to me because as I hear people, uh, parents bring their kids in, um, I I, I don't know if this is a true pattern here, but it it seems coincidental. Parents who uh, uh, heavily discourage any kind of intimate behavior, their children often are pursuing it and the parents who are more open like your parents even encouraging it um the children are the opposite it, 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 they're they're not interested in it or they find it weird or unusual um or at least not desirous of of having sex at that time what was going through your mind when you're hearing your mom were you making sense of that as a 15 year old thinking oh wow She's actually telling me to have sex, whether that's oral or, or full on intercourse. What was, do you recall what was going through your mind at the time?
2: Um,
1: I, I mean, I think I could see my parents and the trajectory they were on. And in my mind, a lot of it was wrapped around sex. (coughs) And I think I kind of was a little bit afraid that like, I didn't want that kind of relationship. But at the same time, it felt really good to be loved and wanted by a boy, right? So I I kind of think I was like, I don't, I don't want what you guys have. I don't want to do it the way you've done it. But I'm figuring this out on my own. And I just was really blessed with a boy who was super patient and very kind and understanding. He never pressured me. Of wow. course, like... He like wanted to make out and stuff but
2: he was he, respectful. He
1: was he was very respectful and he was not LDS. Um he just he was raised by a dad. He his dad raised him on his own and his dad was a very respectful kind man and um yeah, I think that was just such a blessed the time because it could have been so much different. Um so I think it was like I think I was mature enough to know that the reason my mom was telling me those things was because she felt like she had to. Yeah. Right. So, and, and I, and I was open with her, you know, I was like, mom, I'm not ready for that yet, but you know, we'll, we'll figure it out on our own kind of thing. Like I almost, they were so lenient as parents. My identity of a growing young woman and a sexual person was, separate from them. And I was just like, I just have to figure this out on my own. Wow. So, but I mean, when I, so at this point, when I started dating is when I felt so much guilt from my grandparents, So they were like,
0: can, can I pause you there? Cause you did mention you felt I, uh, at the beginning when you, you stopped going to church, you felt judgment from, from your grandparents. Can you elaborate on that? What kind of judgment was it just in general or was it Well, my
1: grandmother said, we know you're running around with that long haired boy because this boyfriend of mine had long hair. Um, And they were, they were just very judgmental people. And like they, they both grew up in Detroit, Michigan. And I remember studying, watching TV with my grandma one time. I was probably about 12 years old. There was a commercial with black people on it. And she was like, black people are taking over TV. And I was like, at the time I was like, um, that's wrong. But, um, so they, that's just how they grew up and how they were. And, and, you know, and they were both converts to the church as well. But my grandfather was a branch president. My grandmother was primary president, Relief Society president. At this point in their lives, they were very strong members of the church. And so when I started dating at the age of 14, Not to mention a boy with long hair, which apparently matters. (laughs) Um, They were like, we know you're running around with that boy. And and I just wasn't.
0: This is the boy that that was respectful to your values and and whatnot. This is the same kid? Okay.
1: they have never met him. They didn't know him at all. But they knew I was dating him. So, and they, you know, being members of the church, they were like, you don't date until you're 16. And so they just thought it was wrong and they voiced their disapproval to me. I was very close to them. I would spend my entire summer with them. I would sleep when I was 12. I spent the entire summer with these grandparents. I slept in the same bed as my grandmother. Like I slept with her in her bed and I was super close to them. And then I just, you know, this is just a period of time when you, for girls in my experience around 14, 15, 16 is when they start Becoming a lot more independent and trying to figure out who they are. And I really distanced myself from them. And what that required me to do is stop going to church. And I didn't necessarily want to stop going to church. I just felt like they were disapproving of me and they didn't want to be around me. And now I know that that was just all my own thoughts and my own feelings. Um, but I just felt really uncomfortable around them because I was making that choice to date this boy and I wasn't 16 yet. And I mean I knew what the standards of the church were but at the same time I had these totally different messages coming from my parents like <laughs> it's totally okay to date and go for it and you know so that's why I say I have a really unique perspective about sexuality because I understand what's coming from the church and from our lessons on chastity and virtue and the leaders and I understand the complete 180 from that is what the world is doing and it's totally normal to date and have sex at 14, 15, 16. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I had to navigate all of that on my own and figure out what worked for me and all of that. So that's kind of my background. Thank you. And I still consider myself like a strong member of the church. I just look back on those years and I'm like, yeah, I, I stopped going to church for a few years and that was part of my learning process. And then when I was on my own, I came back to the church and it all worked out. And the other thing that blew me away is that my grandparents went to the temple a few times a year because the closest temples were (coughs) Seattle, which was five hours away. And then later on, the Spokane Temple was built and that is like four and a half hours away. So either way, it's a, it's a distance. And, um, they never talked about the temple. They never told me about their experience. They never testified nothing. And then, yeah, it was very, not sacred, but secret to them. And they would say, oh, we're going to be out of town this weekend because we're going to the temple and that's about it. And then, and I had one experience as a youth, um, I think I was 13 at the time, where we went as a youth group to the Seattle temple and we stayed a couple of nights or maybe even just one night. And the only direction I remember sitting with my branch president and he was interviewing me for my recommended interview. And, you know, I must've passed that just fine. But the only direction we got was bring white underwear. And I like, <laughs> what? I had nothing. I had no background. It was so awkward. I was like, so uncomfortable in the temple like I went and I did baptisms and confirmations but I the whole time I was like in my mind about like am I doing this right and what what is this all about like I was so unprepared I should not have gone and and um my my grandparents never taught taught me about the temple and then years later when my husband and I were going through the temple we didn't have family that could come with us so we relied on our friends our peers who were already married and had gone through the temp- temple and, um, had great advice by one of those friends, which was don't try to learn everything. It's like a fire hose, oh, let yeah. it wash over you. Right. And I was so grateful for that because it was like so foreign to me. But then afterward, I was mad. I was like, why did no one tell me how important the temple is? And cause I realized like, Oh my goodness, like, this is a necessary ordinance yeah. for us. And and nobody told me. And even my grandparents, like for a long time, I was kind of mad at them. I was like, they understood this and they never talked to me. They never even said, we hope that you have a goal to go to the temple, like nothing. And I was just like, so now one of my things is always testifying of the temple and how I love it. And it's so important. And we learn things that we don't learn anywhere else. And, um, I just feel like because I missed all that and I know my church leaders didn't mean to, and a big part of it was like, I wasn't going to church. So I was necessarily missing out on probably some of that instruction. Maybe. But for, for family, for parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and whoever you are to to testify if if you go to the temple and you it's a part of your life that you enjoy like tell people you know so I always talk to my kids about it and and we live five minutes away from the Denver temple now so they have grown up with us hiring babysitters and like okay well mom and dad are going to the temple so you're not gonna be able to call us so you just have to figure things out if something happens you know and and now, now they're older and they can stay home alone. I just, I'm, I'll just be like, Hey guys, I'm going to the temple. And they're like, okay, see you in a couple hours, you know? So it's just such part of the fabric of our lives now. But at the time, and if I had had that knowledge when I was 13, 14, 15, I don't think I would have started dating. I don't think like, even after my first boyfriend, um, we dated for about a year and a half. and then. Um, He was in college. It was a long distance thing and it just wasn't working. So we broke up. And um, then I had another boyfriend after that. We ended up dating for three years through almost the rest of my high school years. I did have sex with him, like intercourse sex with him. And like still that whole time I was inactive. I wasn't going to church. I didn't know about the temple, didn't know about the covenants we make there. Um, and we were engaged. Like I went off to college being engaged to this boy who was a year younger than me and he was finishing his senior year of high school. Yeah. Like I, I just, that decision to go back to church totally changed the course of my life because otherwise I would have been married to another non LDS boy. And, you know, I'm not saying my life would have been horrible or anything, but you know, just a lot of the choices I made as a teenager, I think, were because of the influences of my parents and the lack of education that I got about the long term, um, I guess, just the long term goals that most members of the church have. So, yeah.
0: I, I really appreciate That's that. Good. And it sounds like you had a certain level, maybe, of awareness that um, teens in their 15s, in that age range, don't typically have. You knew something wasn't right. You're trying to figure it out. You knew it wasn't feeling right. Um, maybe leaving the church for a little bit of time wasn't the best thing. I don't I don't know. Maybe that was a good thing. It allowed you to to think about what was going on, but you still had this desire to come back. Do you feel like that awareness was that clear at that age? Or is it more looking back and saying, oh, that's kind of what happened? Uh, Do you feel like you were that aware at that age?
1: Yeah, I was really aware because I was forced to grow up very young just because of my parents. Like they weren't able to take care of us the way we needed them to. So I was the oldest and I really had to just grow up and figure things out on my own and make decisions for myself because my parents were... They, like I said, they were never married, but they lived together and had a relationship for over 20 years. But when I was 14, my mom tried to leave my dad and she came to me and was like, I want to leave him, but I don't know if that's the right thing. And even as a 14 year old, I recognized like, this is not a conversation my mother should be having with (laughs) me. no. And like, basically she was asking for my permission. Like, I think she recognized that she's got these three girls and she doesn't want to tear their family apart for them, but her personally, she needed to leave. Yeah. And I was just like, mom, do it. You need to go, you know, but even in that moment, I was like, this is like, she should not be asking me this. Right. And, and I've, I have a degree in psychology. That's the degree I ended up getting. So I feel like I kind of was always drawn to how people behave and why and what they're thinking and what their motives are. So maybe that was just kind of my personality to understand all of that. But also I just had to grow up really fast and I was the oldest and I was the responsible one. And I had an adult perspective, I think much younger than a lot of people do today. Um, and like I said, my parents just, Emotionally, they weren't able to to do like proper quote unquote proper parenting. Yeah. So I think I really was aware, and and they had other issues. They were alcoholics and took drugs. And
0: oh wow, so, so it, this wasn't just a open. Hey, we're we're open about sexuality. This was kind of an unhealthy dynamic around uh, well yeah discussing sexuality isn't an unhealthy thing but the way that they were doing it and the other issues that were going on created a what we yeah uh, what what you're probably familiar with, since you have a, a background in psychology enmeshment it sounded like your family was very your parents were really enmeshed with each other
1: yes for sure and um yeah it wasn't just sexuality it that's why I say that they were just emotional children. They had babies way too young and it, I think it just stopped their, their growth right then. Right. Yeah. And they just, they were thrust into an adult world before they were ready and their coping skills were completely not there. And, um, yeah. So my mom left my dad, but then basically they were like together and not together and together and not together for like, five years after that. So it was, it was kind of tough. And I think I just sort of separated myself. I was just like, I was in high school at this point. I was just like head down, going to graduate. Parents got to figure out their own thing and I got to figure out my own thing. Yeah. yeah, So that's why I say, I feel like I was more aware because I was just completely in charge of myself at that point. They, they didn't help me like apply for college. They didn't help me with financial aid they like nothing. I moved away to college. Yeah. I grew up probably as a sophomore or junior in high school. I had really good mentors in high school teachers that helped me. Um, but like when I went away to college, my dad was like, Oh, she's leaving. What do I do? Um, Hey, do you need money? And I was like, no dad, I got it figured out. (laughs) He was like, let me buy you a microwave. I was like, (laughs) Okay. <laughs> so Thanks, Dad. yeah, I mean, I was very much an adult before the age of 18, Right. but um, yeah, I think I just, that was a blessing that heavenly father gave me was he having knew I needed up. having to grow up and the skills needed for that. So yeah. And honestly, my husband was very similar. We kind of have a similar story. Um, he also has parents that his parents were divorced when he was a baby and they were drug addicts. Oh his wow. Grandmother raised him and and so he also had to grow up really early and had a lot of self-awareness around what his life was going to look like and the choices he was making. So we always say that heavenly father brought us together. We were just meant. We met in the dorms and I was not looking for a relationship at that point. Like I said I was engaged to my high school sweetheart. Um He was just the new guy that had moved in a quarter after everyone else. And I was introducing myself to be friendly. And then we ended up kind of hanging out a lot and getting to know each other. And then I realized, like, I think I like this guy. And this is different than my other relationships. Like, I thought I was in love, but this is like a whole different level. And yeah, so that's... I I kind of laughed because I went from... Date, my first boyfriend I dated for a year and a half my second boyfriend we dated for three years and we're engaged to be married and now my current relationship we've been together for over 20 years
0: wow so, so you, you it decided was like, you, you got married in what is it 2000 or
1: 1999 well we moved in together in 1999 and we got married in September of 2001
0: 2001 all right. So
1: September this year will be 18 years of marriage, wow. but we lived together and or dated for two and a half years before we were married.
0: So what did you discover in, in your early marriage? Um, any of your, your family history coming in both either from your husband or you, uh, how did you make that work in, in your sexual relationship in, changing unhealthy behaviors, what did you run into or what did you find as a blessing? Um, Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So I started having sex with my husband um, about two weeks after we started dating. And I think I felt kind of like that messaging from my mom, like you have to have sex (laughs) with them for them to stay with you. I think that was coming to play a little bit. Um I it was a time where I was really confused because I was like I thought I was in love with this other guy um so it was sort of my there was about 3 months there when I just like I drank alcohol for about 3 months um just kind of my like experimental phase I guess and trying to figure out what do I really want and that really like we ended up living together but now 20 years later that has been what has hurt us the most in our intimacy because I was this like, you know, quote unquote, sex crazed girl. Like I, I had sexual experience and my husband didn't. He was a virgin before he met me and he kind of came to school like thinking, Oh, I'm in college now and I'm going to get some girls. I'm going to get laid and we met each other and he really liked me and he, It wasn't like that for him. He wasn't promiscuous at all. And I ended up being the one that was kind of promiscuous. And then right when I knew that I liked him, but I didn't quite know what direction our relationship was going, I like ended up kissing another guy and he was really upset about that, but we hadn't defined our relationship yet. But um, now looking back on it, I was like, yeah, I think I was using sex kind of as a tool. Um, cause I felt like I had to, and I was really confused. And then, so we lived together for a year and a half or two years before I ended up moving out before we got married. And like, he looks back on that time so fondly. He was like, where is that girl who was willing to have sex and was willing to do crazy stuff. And I mean, we didn't do any crazy stuff, but I was just so much more open and lame. And, um, and then we got married and I think I was still open and once we started having kids is when all the hormones come in and you're tired and all of that. And, And definitely for that five to seven, eight years, that's when he started getting frustrated and was like, wait a second, this is not how it used to be. Um, that's where most of our struggles came. and. And I think really, like, I was having sex for him the whole time. Open it quick. Not for me. It was just, like, something that I thought of was, like, four guys. And, like, I did, I do have sexual desire, and I did have sexual desire, but in my parents and other, like, other influences, I'm like, this is not, it's something that women have that they can use for the men in their lives kind of thing. And that's where the last couple of years I've really done a lot of growing up um, in my own sexuality and realizing that it, it is for me just as much as it is for him. And it was interesting. I just had a conversation right before you called. Um, and I, I said, I said, I don't think like what I think your opinion is that our sex life is very, you know, it's pretty good. And he's like, yeah, our sex life is pretty good. And I said, I don't think you really have a vision of how much better it could be uh. and what your role in that is. And he kind of looked at me and he said, yeah, I guess, I guess I'm not really sure what my role is. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> All right. And really what has happened, because he, he said that when we were having babies and baby toddler phase, that was the really tough part for him because I just was never in the mood. And, and it, compare that to the girl who before we were married and before we had kids was totally open and willing. And he thought, you know, something has gone wrong and this is not what I thought it was going to be. And then, and I knew like we've had conversations where he's like, I want to have sex more often and I want you to be more into it. And I just would look at him and be like, well, you get one or the other, right? Like, Uh, sure, we can have sex more often, but I'm not necessarily going to be into it. And, um, I actually stumbled upon a podcast called Sexy Marriage Radio in, I think it was about 2012. So it's been like six years I've been listening to this podcast and it's, um, a Christian therapist who does the podcast and it totally opened my eyes up to what is normal. And, um, that's when I kind of started in myself. I didn't even have this conversation with my husband where I started thinking like, okay, maybe it's normal and fine. Like it's okay to Mm -hmm. try different positions or whatever. Like I, my mind was just opened up to like, so so up until
0: that point, you said uh, in 2012, when you found this podcast, this Christian based uh, intimacy podcast, your, your, your sexual life was, um, to borrow the term "pretty vanilla." You weren't changing things up; it was pretty routine. If if you were to have sex, is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And in, in the possibility, kids, yeah, yeah, and the possibility to have di- even different positions was that just not on on the forefront of your mind, or just not an option, or what prevented you from? Was there anything preventing you from exploring different options before 2012?
1: Well, I think I just thought that like sex was something I did for my husband and I wasn't really all that interested. And so like, why would I put effort and energy into it? Right. Like it was just like a baseline minimum. Right. And, and I did kind of feel myself being like, yeah, like this is sort of boring and it's not great. Um, but it wasn't until I started listening to that podcast that I was like, oh, Maybe it's not just for him. Maybe it's for me. Maybe it could be really amazing, even though we have young kids. Right. So it just, I started questioning all of my beliefs and like beliefs that I didn't even know I had really. Um, Yeah. Cause I mean, before that, like sex was fun. It's what college kids do, right? (laughs) Yes. And so it was just sort of like the culture was carrying me along. Of this is just what people do, and and we didn't I can't remember like really having a lot of conversations around sex. It was just sort of like this unspoken expectation um,
0: you mean prior I, prior I, to your listening of this podcast, it was just an unspoken expectation,
1: yeah, just kind of like the early married years and um through the baby and toddler phases it's yeah. just kind of like yeah husbands and wives have sex with each other so we've always had sex like at least once a week like if not two times a week like I feel like frequency wise it's been where my husband wanted it to be but I wasn't into it I was he's like I feel like I'm just having sex with like a rag doll or whatever you know uh-huh. like someone that's not into it And he really wanted me to be more into it, more enthusiastic. And he wanted me to initiate. And and my brain was like, that's just not who I am. You know, like that doesn't jive with like who I am as a person. Like I'm the one, like you're the one that initiates sex and asks for sex. And I'm the one who is either in the mood or isn't. And then we do or we don't. And, but for the most part, like I feel like, our whole marriage I've been pretty good about having sex enough for to like keep my husband happy.
0: Got right. It. So what, what changed, what, what was the paradigm shift for you to go from this? I'm not, this is just not who I am um, to, Hey, sex can be great. Even for me, what what was, do you, can you put your finger on it specifically? What, what did you learn from this podcast or was it kind of just step by step along the path of discovery uh, what was that process like for you?
1: I think just listening regularly to this podcast and hearing other people discuss sex in a very non-judgmental, open way, like a healthy way. I think it just was like, oh, people have conversations about sex. Oh, people think about sex. Mm-hmm. Women like get excited about having sex with their husbands you know like it just opened my mind to things that I had never even considered thinking about really it, it at first it was just like a curiosity thing I was like what this is like sex podcast I'm curious right and and then I hear them speak about sex in like very respectful and kind ways and trying to like husband and wives coming together to figure something out that works for both of them and it just opened my mind to the possibility that sex could be something that both husband and wife enjoy and they can talk about it and they can make it something that is their own and figure out what works for them. I feel like, and now with all my education too, I just feel like it was just um, like nobody ever taught me. Just like the temple, right? nobody right. ever sat down and had a talk with me like sex can be a beautiful thing, and that yes, it's part of what married people do, but it's between you and you have to figure it out and I love I don't even remember where I first heard this, but sex is a skill, yes, and that was like yes <laughs> oh my gosh, I wish somebody had told me that it's something you work at and you talk about it it's it's almost like you know, we're just told, don't have sex, don't have sex until you're married. And then you're married and then go for it. It's as if we're like, don't cook, don't cook, don't cook, don't eat. And then, and then, you know, you, you turn, you're an adult now. Okay. Now you should be able to cook and eat beautiful meals. And I just, I don't know. It was really just the awareness that something else was out there
0: is possible, really I, I love the uh, parallel that you're making with the temple and how it's interesting um, your grandparents didn't talk about the temple at all and and that was in a way um, that they kept it sacred and I I think that was a generation of, of people who um, really viewed it this is how we honor the temple we don't talk about it I mean and they'll verbally say it's sacred not secret yet their behavior is very secretive. Uh, not even mm-hmm. telling you that, I mean, they'll say they're going to the temple, but that's it, which is interesting because as early as uh, 1984, uh, president Benson was talking about, uh, things that we hope we teach uh, you, teach your children about the temple. And he, he shares experiences like where he would watch his mom or his grandma ironing the temple clothing. And that's where she would talk about it, but it wasn't the culture of the church to even do that, even though he was pushing this idea of be more open. And what you're referring to about the sexual discovery is this lack of discussion. And and we tend to do that one of two reasons is, is because we see it so sacred and we don't talk about those things. And in my book, I, I talk about I call this sexual silence. And it's in a lot of ways a way that we try to honor that intimate relationship. But yet it's shut down an entire uh, form of communication where you're just now discovering in this two, 2012 time period. Oh my goodness, this can actually be a discussion, but how do I, what does that look like with my husband? You have no role models of that. And I think that was kind of the, the struggle that our parents had in, and our grandparents uh, talking about the temples. What do I say? theres isn't, isn't this role model of what I can and can't say. And well, I don't want to mess up and say something that's not appropriate or too sacred. So I'm just not going to say anything. It seems like that kind of tone with sexuality too, is it's so sacred. I don't, you know, I don't want to embarrass my spouse or I don't want to say the wrong thing or, or I don't want to be awkward. Um, But you're now discovering, you know what, that's part of having a healthy uh, conversation around sexuality. Uh, Would you say that parallels is, does that resonate with you?
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I had this thought, like we learn line upon line and I think we learn family line upon family line, like Uh, generational line. And yeah, I mean, I just think that was my grandparents' generation. And then for me, my parents weren't in the church. So I missed that entire family line, that entire generation. And so it was a lot of catching up to do. And then I just think now, you know, we've, with technology and social media and all kinds, you know, podcasts, we just have so many amazing platforms that we can talk. Yes. Like sometimes it's awkward to talk to someone face-to-face, like even parents and their kids, right? And, and, and but we have these methods that conversations are being open that you can ha- have a conversation almost in the privacy of your own home, right? So it's just like whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah. And I, I do see it very generationally and, and I love that we are now at the point where we're opening up conversations about sex. I feel like, because I'm, I, this has changed me so much, this transformation in my life that has helped me be much more confident person. Like in 2012, I would have never agreed to come talk to you about
2: this. (laughs) Um,
1: and it just has shifted so much for myself that I actually became a life coach. And now I'm coaching women in the same area, like to love their sex lives. And I see my clients that they're like, well, like good girls, good members of the church, like the good girl syndrome. Yes. They really like, and in it, I had that too. Like it's not who I am. It's not my identity. Right. So their identity is so wrapped up in what it means to be a good, woman in the church and that is very far away from having quote unquote crazy sex or whatever you know mm-hmm. and it's just reconciling those two things and when you don't have role models when you don't have anyone like sex is not something we go and like watch someone else do right like the way uh, like a cooking show or something like that right and so you just you don't know what you don't know and some people are really blessed where they girlfriends or parents who are really open and they, they, they swap information, they talk about things, but so many of us don't have those kinds of relationships. And so that one podcast is what started me down that path. But now it's like, there are so many amazing resources on social media and Facebook groups, like the group you run, like where people are crazy conversation. And like, it's not that they necessarily want to be like, tell me what's right or wrong. They just want a context of how do I navigate this? Right. So
0: that has been such uh, a, so there's probably 90% of the people who contact me and thank me for groups like the one I run, the improving intimacy group, uh, on Facebook who are like, I will never say anything, but I can't tell you how these conversations have not only opened my mind, but improved our our ability to discuss sex between me and my spouse and and, and our children. These things I've just never seen done and never knew we either were allowed to do or could do uh, or just didn't know how to do. And so just having that resource there and seeing how real people talk about intimacy and and what they're struggling with has been a life changer from for many. So is that what I'm hearing from you? Is that simply the ability to start discussing sex in an open way like this and discovering alternative uh, maybe yeah. positions? Did that incre- Did did that part increase your desire? What led to or did? your desire increased more or what what happened to your sex, uh, drive?
1: Well, so for sure we've had more conversations, but I was looking back and really most of the work has just been me reflecting and thinking about what I want and what works for me. I, I mean, I've tried to drop hints and I admit like, I, I should probably just come out with my husband and be like, Hey, listen, Yes. I want to talk to you about this, <laughs> but I haven't been as good at that as I have just been like really the awareness of myself. Um, because I, I asked him right before we got on this call, I said, so, you know, our sex life was really amazing at first and then we had babies and it was kind of this dip time where it wasn't as good and you were a little more frustrated. And now like, what do you think? And he's like, yeah, it's amazing again. And I said, but was that just because like, what do you attribute that to? Is it just because we, our kids are older and we don't have to worry about kids and we're not, you know, we're sleeping through the night again. Or is it because like I consciously <laughs> made it that way? And he said, Oh, for sure. Because you consciously made it that way. Yeah. And I thought it was so interesting to hear him say that. Cause he knows I've been working a lot on stuff. Um, but he hasn't, he has been
0: like, interesting.
1: and when he said, what's my role? And I said, well, what do you think your role is? And he said, I'm just here for you, baby. (laughs) And I just laughed out loud because I'm like, that is so true. And that's why I told him, I said, I don't think you have a vision of how amazing our sex life could be if you really started taking more part in creating it. And he kind of just looked at me puzzled because he sees his role as like, I'm I'm just here for whatever I can get because that's what it was for so many years. I,
0: I love and that he described it that way. That is the role I think a lot of spouse, husbands particularly, uh, play is, is whatever I can get. I'm not going to force it, uh, but yay, <laughs> whatever I can yeah. get. Yeah.
1: And I have been so much shifting. I am like consciously choosing how to think about sex. And one thing, so like I said, I went through life coach training and I decided I needed to get coached on this for myself. So I knew what it was like for my clients. And so I got coached on it and I sat down to this session and I was like, okay, I want to have more desire. Like I want to increase my desire. And my coach said, why? And I was like, well, because that's like the better way. Right. (laughs) And so we had this big, long conversation about, why I would want to increase my desire. Like, why wouldn't my husband want to decrease his desire? But culture tells us that having more desire, wanting sex more often is the quote unquote right way. And she said something to me that totally shifted everything. She said, it's really interesting that you're becoming a person that's different from your spouse as I'm learning to like build a business and, and I'm just becoming more independent and my identity has been so wrapped up in my marriage and me as a wife up until this point. And she said, it's so interesting that you recognize that, you know, you're becoming a different person. It's okay. If he doesn't become a different person as well, if he doesn't do the work to improve himself the way I have been doing, but, yet you're trying to make your desire match his. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So in that way, you're trying to become more like him. Correct. And I was just like, Oh yeah, you're right. And, and she said, what if your desire exactly the way it is, is perfectly fine. Like, what if you can just accept it exactly the way it is? And I just sat back and I was like, what if, what if I don't have to change it all? Mm -hmm. And what that did, like, even in the next, 24 to 48 hours, I was watching myself. And what it did was relieve the pressure that yes. I had been putting my, on myself to try to be different because I thought that it would be better if I had higher desire and I wanted sex more so that we could have more sex. And it would like all of the thing in my head was that it would be better. And it totally took the pressure off. And I was like, I'm fine and stuck with the way I am. And what happened was, I actually wanted sex more. Yes. Because that's
0: very, very common. Yeah, it
1: just wasn't it wasn't a pressure thing, right? It was just like I'm exactly fine the way I am. I can come at it who I am and it's gonna be amazing no matter what. And it like it was is this ironic thing where as soon as we accept ourselves the way we are, that's when we actually want to want sex more.
0: Yes. I, I, I like how you said that. I, I think that's a key takeaway, at least from my perspective here is, um, th- there's this, there's this interesting paradox that happens when we try to become more like our spouse it happens with men too, or I, the roles reverse also. I, I kind of see it often 50 50. I have women who are higher sex drive partners and, and. 50% men who it always seems I want sometimes jokingly, you know, mix and match these couples up with all that same sex drives, but, uh, kind of the, uh, silly side of my, my psychologist self who wants to pair these people up, but it's interesting, um, that, you know, even, even those husbands who have a higher sex drive will often try to, okay, I need to match my, my wife's sex drive. Cause if I, if I live up here in the high sex drive area, then I'm just going to be continuously frustrated. But when they lower their drive or try to force it, it becomes just as frustrating. Um, And I love that question. Why are you doing this? It's actually not learning you. It's, it's trying to become like your, your spouse, which is, not you, and the and the ability to recognize, be self awareness, which I'm seeing, you had this wonderful ability to do from your teenage years. You're now doing, you're continuing to do, uh, continuing to do, and say, no, what do I want? And that ability to say and identify what you really want actually releases this drive or this desire. Uh, it doesn't mean you're going to have the same sex drive as is as, as your husband, or that's the reason why you do it. Um, but this learning yourself releases this pressure that allows you to be more aware of, of what your sex drive is and what you want. And you don't feel confined. Is, is that what I'm hearing from you?
1: Yeah. And I'm also able to be so much more honest. Like if my husband wants sex, I, can, I actually say to him, yeah, I'll have sex with you, but it's going to be like for you sex. Like I'm not going to be super into it. So is that what you want? Yeah, And sometimes he's like, eh. and sometimes he's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> you know? So, so he knows what he's getting into before, you know? And, and then sometimes like it just allows me to be so much more of who I am. Like I can flirt. I, I hear a lot of hey. women saying, I'm so scared to flirt or to like kiss him because then he might want sex. And I'm just like, so honest. Right. I I can be so much more honest now. I can flirt and I can be like, Just so you know, I'm flirting with you, but that doesn't mean we're having sex (laughs) today, right? Like, and he, and it, yes, I'm so much more able to communicate because before it was all for him and what is he going to think? And am I going to hurt him? And is he going to be disappointed? And when I step into my own sexuality and what do I want and becoming aware of my own desire, it, it is more for me, but also I'm that wife who wants to have for my husband, like there are times when it's totally just for him. And that's, yeah. I'm totally okay with that. But before I would never communicate that to him. I would never say like, yeah, but it's just for you tonight. Right. Like I'm not super into it. Mm-hmm. And, and now there are even times when I'm like, Hey, let's go do it. And he's like, wait, what? <laughs> 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 and, and I even, I wrote on my blog that um, probably, I think it was a couple Saturdays ago. The kids were all, they were all at home, but they were all doing their own thing. And like, we went upstairs and locked the door and had sex in the middle of the day when our kids were downstairs. And 10 years ago, I would have said never in my entire life would that ever happen. But like, it has just opened myself up to like, I don't care what my kids think. If like, if they hear us having sex, then they know that their parents have sex and they love each other. and. Like that's been a dream of his, right? Like sex during the middle of the day, what? And so it has really helped me see like, and it has nothing to do with him is the thing is I've just become so much more aware and I've been able to take the pressure off of myself to be a certain way. And I'm just who I am now. And that has really, really opened things up for me.
0: So so my question is, is you, you can have this experience now where it's a random Saturday or whatever. And you say, I'm ready for sex. And he's, of course, ready and willing. Of course. Yes. What about the opposite? If he's wanting to have sex, but you're not particularly thinking of it, has that experience changed? Or do you still communicate? No, not today. Or I, I can't or it's not what I'm ready for uh how does that
1: well i don't maybe i just have a higher sex drive than what i've always identified myself as but i'm kind of always thinking about sex in some form or fashion um i mean i can respond to him and be honest um I don't know that it's really happened all that much. I think it still takes me a little bit longer to warm up to it. Like, I'm still the lower responsive desire. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there have been a couple of times where, cause he loves it if, if he's like, hey, let's go have sex. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he's just, he never expects that. Right. No. But I mean, there have been a couple of times that that's happened, but usually I'm still more like, maybe. And I just like turn it into like a flirtatious thing. Um, I feel like I'm still, I'm just at the beginning of the possibilities of what it means for us. I mean, really this work that I've been doing on myself has just been this year, just yeah. in the last wow. handful of months. Um, but it has shown me that things can change quickly. I mean, since 2012 and listening to that podcast, I've been internalizing a lot of things. I've been learning a lot of things. I've been questioning what, what is my identity, but it hasn't been until probably the last six months that I've really been taking it to the next level. Like the last six years, for sure, like we've been, um, I've been able to communicate better and, I asked him questions, but it's kind of more in like a passive, hinty kind of way. Mm, yeah. And just the last six months, has been a lot more direct when like I've been doing work with my own clients and then trying to do the same work on myself and really putting it from like the thinking, feeling area into the action area um, and applying it. So I feel like I'm still just at the beginning. You know, I just my birthday was two years two days ago I turned 39. So I'm like, wow, I'm like halfway through my life and I'm <laughs> just now starting to really enjoy sex and my marriage and like all of that. Like it's just the beginning of the possibilities for me. And it has taken me six years or so to really step into understanding myself and being aware and and being comfortable having those conversations. So it's an interesting process. I think when people come to therapy or whatever that looks like for them, it's much faster. I I, I guess that's what really has changed for me.
0: I I appreciate you pointing out that the length and the journey and we, we've kept, we keep bringing up the 2012 starting and, and I think it's important for people to put that into context. Sometimes we want things to change immediately. And when I work with my clients uh, also is, is, you know, after two weeks of meeting, it's like, I haven't seen any changes, and, and this is still happening. And I says, well, You've got 35 plus years of history behind you that you're combating. And we often revert to even, even if it's unhealthy behavior, we revert to what's familiar because it's predictable. And that, that journey is going to take a while. You know, you may not need to be in counseling for six years, but exactly what you're doing, you're asking questions. You're asking, does this make sense? What do I want? Even when you're answering the question about your husband asking for, for sex, you said something I thought was very key. I don't know if you, you're probably aware of it. I turn it into some sort of flirting. It's kind of, I think what you said, and if I misrepresented that, what I was hearing was you turned it back to what do you want? You didn't just say, no, you turned it into great. How, what am I going to experience here? And I think there's a fear within our culture to see that as selfish. It's, um, but that's about knowing who you are and what you want and to be able to, you can't communicate what you want unless you know what you want. And if you can turn it into your own uh, fantasy or flirtation or whatever you want to call it, you can now then communicate that desire. Yes, let's, let's, let's have a, a role in this experience together. Um, yeah. And, and so what are you doing? If you don't mind, I, I want to, I've been wanting to ask this in, and how you transition to your, your kids. So you break that generational thing of, of not knowing to be able to talk about it more freely with your kids. Is there anything specific that you're doing to help your children, um, do this differently in a more positive way?
1: Yeah. Well, I started talking to my kids about sex probably when they were like six, um, is when it was actually, we were all sitting in the living room watching Oprah and something came up and I just, open a conversation with my oldest daughter. I love that. And yeah, and and it it's just so matter of fact to me. Like I don't want it to be so open that it's uncomfortable, but so closed off that they don't know, right? So I'm just always talking to my kids about sex or their bodies or what they think like and they know like I'm a sex coach, right? And and so Sometimes it's in the form of like joking. Like I have a fifteen year old daughter and sometimes I'll kind of joke around with her and see what her response is, right? And sometimes I'll just start saying things. Um and if she stops me, then I know she's not ready. She doesn't want to talk about it. Um my ten year old son, like I was just in the car with him last week and it's been weighing on me. I had delegated like the sex talk, which I know it's not just one talk, but for us, we've always kind of opened it up with like, here's the beginning. Right. And he, he has some awareness. He knows a a little bit about sex. And, but I've like, you know, gone to my husband, like you need to talk to him about this because like his sisters are, they've started their periods and he's asking questions like, why is there blood in your underwear? You know, like they leave their clothes on the bathroom floor and he's asking these questions that his sisters don't feel comfortable answering. And clearly he needs a little more information, but my husband, he does not feel as comfortable as I do talking about sex. So I've been wanting him to have that conversation, but the other (laughs) week, I was just like, okay, we're in the car together. You're just going to listen to me. And I made, I told him the whole like birds and bees thing, which, it's helpful that we homeschooled for five years and we actually did a botany year in science. And he knows about how flowers are pollinated. And um, so I had that and I'm like, I'm sorry, but you really need to know some information and you don't have to respond, but I'm just going to talk at you for a little bit. And if you have questions, you totally can. And then once that like first big conversation happens And even before that, we use proper terminology. Oh, wonderful. There's a a joke in our family that like when my son was like one or two, he's like, I have a penis, right? And he's like, and my sister has a vagina and my other sister has a vagina. And we're like, yep, yep, yep. And he goes, man, there's a lot of vaginas around here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Your son said that? he said
1: that when he was like two. <laughs> and and it. so like, that's a joke in our family. Right. So it's like, we're very open. I am more open than my husband is. Um, but I'm just like very matter of fact about it. I'm just very like this. There's nothing to be ashamed of. This is how it is. This is what happened. And the other thing I really want my kids to know is like, You're going to have these kinds of feelings. This might happen to you. That might happen to you. Just know that nothing is wrong, right? Like that's the main thing that kids think is like, oh, this happened and it's wrong and there's something wrong with me. And so basically I just always tell them like, there's nothing wrong with you. Even my 15 year old, she's not ready. Like some 15 year olds are ready to date and she's not. And I'm just like, well, someday you might wake up. you have feelings that you weren't expecting. Right. And I tell my son, like someday you might actually feel like you want to kiss a girl right now. That might be disgusting. Right. But it's just so a part of what I do. And it's just kind of a constant conversation. And I actually don't mind making them uncomfortable.
0: (laughs) I'm just like, you're a good parent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And my parents used to say, it's our job to embarrass you. And I, I guess I kind of in, adopted that a little bit. Like it's my job to make you uncomfortable, to see you at what point are you getting uncomfortable? And at what point are you totally okay? Right. And my main thing is just to be open and let them know like whatever questions they ever have, they can come to me no matter what. And I mean, they know my history. They know that Mom and dad lived together before they were married. They know that their grandparents were never married. And I talked to them a lot about that stuff. We talked to them about even about drug abuse, right? We're like, you guys, it's in your blood to be addicted to alcohol. All four of your grandparents were. And so like, just so you know, if you ever choose that someday to try it out, that might be the path that happens for you because it's like so pre-programmed for them. But we just, you know, we just keep the conversation open. And if we're watching a movie, like we went through a period where we were introducing them to movies from the 80s and we had forgotten how much sex was in those movies. (laughs) And, you know, questions came up. They're like, well, what does that word mean? And we're just like, we just answer it. And it's, it's just part of the fabric of daily life. I think my husband's a little less comfortable than I am, but he also was raised by a grandparent. So I don't think anyone ever talked to him about sex. Like when he was the ages, our kids are. So I think he's getting more comfortable, but I've, I've just been like, this is important to me. I am talking to my kids about sex and, and about their bodies and about if they feel guilt or shame or, you know, any questions that they have. My 15 year old daughter is super um, into politics and into like feminism and gay rights. And I think it's great. Like she just is very much into equal rights. And and also she still is a member of the church and goes to church every week. And, you know, she just went to EFY a couple of weeks ago and she came home and was like, totally strengthened my testimony. And, yeah. and I just told her like, you know, you can do all those things that you feel passionate about. And you can still live the gospel, too, because sometimes I think the messages are like, whether it's sex or politics or whatever, like you have to choose one or the other. But, yeah, it's just it's just ongoing conversations, I guess.
0: I I like what you said about making your kids uncomfortable. Unlike maybe your parents, where it was like trying to get you to do something you weren't ready to do. Yours is being able to have a conversation that is. Culturally uncomfortable, and in, in, in giving them a model of how to have the conversation, you're not pushing them to do something they're uncomfortable in doing or sending mixed moral messages. You're you're teaching them how to have a difficult conversation. Uh, with our kids, mm-hmm. we've experienced some of the similar things. Our girls are older than our boys, and. Uh, some of them were like oh gosh this is um even sometimes our youngest girl would often say oh this is so awkward uh <laughs> but now as we watch them in their relationships uh, two are married the two oldest girls are married and the youngest one is she's navigating she's a return missionary and she's able to have these conversations with her her boyfriend that they're serious with and, and go through a list of okay well, if we do get married what's that look like both sexually and um desire in in the whole spectrum uh and this is a person who was like always feeling like oh why are we talking about this here having this conversation in a very mature way they had gotten comfortable with having difficult conversations like this but we were never you know forcing the conversation we i liked what you said you, you'd watch it you'd gauge it okay this is probably a little too much I'll re-engage at another time you weren't doing it to a point of driving them away or, ah, my parents are so weird and gross. You, you were observant.
1: Yeah. And also like, I don't know if someone said this to me. I heard this at one point where like kids don't like to see their parents kissing, but they do like to know that their parents love each other. Mm. So it's almost like on the outside, they'll be like, ew, gross, you guys. But, on the inside, it makes them feel so secure. Mm-hmm. So I always think about that where like what they're saying to us might be just what's happening on the outside. And what happens on the inside for them is like, Oh, that was really good to know. Right. Yep. So you just never know, like we're, we're humans and we're complicated beings. And I just don't take anything that my like, kids on the outside as like oh that means I have to stop and I'm making them uncomfortable and they're not ready it's just like we said it's line upon line I fully believe that they don't even understand 90 percent of what we say until agree it clicks for them you know <laughs> yep like we're huge Friends fans, like watching the, the show Friends. And there's so much sexual innuendo in oh, that show. my goodness. And sometimes I'm like, oh, am I a bad parent for letting my 10-year-old son watch this? And then he'll make a comment. And I'm like, oh, he just totally doesn't even get it.
0: Oh, my goodness. And My parents used to let us watch Married with Children. I had no idea what 90 percent of what was being said, although I thought it was funny. Now I look back and I go, yeah, my parents let me watch this. This is whoa. (laughs) You're right.
1: Yeah. And the same thing for the messages we are directly telling them, right? Like they're not absorbing all of it. This is true. And. And when we, when they get to the point, like I've had this happen to myself, even when I heard someone tell a joke, I was a kid and I heard a joke and, um, I understand it, but it like was in the back of my mind for a while, like even a year or two years or five years and then something clicks and you're like, Oh, I get it now. Yeah. So I think as long as we're coming at it in a healthy way, we're not, you know, being crude, rude or, um, abusive right of course it's just all like information and they probably don't understand 90% of it until they're at that place where developmentally they're ready to understand it and then it'll click in their mind and then if they have questions I want them to be like oh my mom is the one who told me this so I don't I think I understand it but I'm gonna go ask her right and none of my kids have done that yet they've never come to me But I fully believe that they will when the time comes. I think I've just always been so open and they don't, they don't have questions yet. And, and they haven't been put in situations where, you know, information is being questioned or whatever. So I just think that it, it, it'll happen for them. They'll understand it when they're ready. And I just have to keep telling them, keep educating them, keep an open line of communication.
0: Danita, this has been a real pleasure. Very insightful. I really appreciate you sharing your journey with us being so open. I, I, I have a a feeling this will be helpful for quite a few people. Um, well, I hope so. Tell us you are a life coach. How do people reach out to you? What, what information would you like the audience to know about you and your business?
1: Um, so I don't have a website yet, but they can email me at Coaching at gmail.com or reach out on Facebook or Instagram. Those are my favorite places to hang out. Danita Bremer Coaching, both of those. And I actually did start a my own Facebook group where if people... Um, it's for wives only, um, but I wanted a place where if people don't feel like they can afford or aren't ready to get coaching or therapy or counseling of some kind that they can come and um, get a little bit of coaching for free so I do have a group going but yeah just well, are you Instagram.
0: Uh, you want to share that group name
1: oh it's called love your sex life
0: love your sex life great title thank you yeah Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank
1: uh, you. It's been totally fun.
0: We'll, we'll post that information. We're going to be doing a, a blog post for each podcast. And we'll put, uh, if you didn't get that information, uh, we'll, we'll put it in the blog post so you have access to it. And thank you, Danita.
1: Thank you. You're doing great work. I can't wait to um, listen to your podcast.
0: Uh, thank you.